Hey, hey! Welcome to episode 34 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Michael Jordan, and he'll read from his book, The Company of Demons. Hi, I'm Michael Jordan, the author of The Company of Demons. Thank you for listening to a bit of my book, which I hope you'll consider for a thrilling, entertaining read. The book stems from the true story of the Torso Murderer, a serial killer who terrorized Cleveland years ago, eluded legendary lawman Elliot Ness, and then vanished without a trace. What if the killer returned today for one final act of vengeance? Chapter 1 There was never any trouble at the Tam O'Shanter, even on a rocking weekend night, even when one of the tribes smacked a homer for a go-ahead run. Tim and Karen ran a tight joint, the perfect hideaway to lounge beneath faded posters of 70s rock bands and sip a cold one. So when Karen screamed from the seedy alley behind the bar, our little oasis was shattered. Tim bolted for the back door. I rushed after him and squinted in the bright sunlight. Tim was cradling his wife in his arms. She stared at me vacantly, then broke away and retched. Huddled over the rough asphalt in her thin t-shirt and faded jeans, Karen reminded me of a fragile little girl. The wastebasket she'd intended to empty lay near her, paper napkins and discarded receipts fluttering in the humid breeze. Tim waved a hand toward a dumpster, its lid flung open, wedged tight against the crumbling brick wall. Don't look. But I did. The sight of a naked body sprawled across plastic garbage bags was impossible to miss. Or part of a body, really, because the head was gone. So was everything below the waist. The hairy torso had been split down the middle, and I didn't need to be a pathologist to know that someone had scooped out the guts and the lungs and the heart. Flies droned incessantly and in the summer heat. The stench of rancid meat wafted to me. I backed away. We headed back into the tan, none of us saying a word. I dialed 911 on my cell. The Indian's third basement cracked a triple as I slumped onto a black vinyl bar stool the announcer's agitated voice echoing from the worn paneled walls and yellowed tin ceiling. His enthusiastic play-by-play was a jarring accompaniment to Karen's quiet sobs. She was hunched over a couple of stools from me, wiping her mouth with a bar towel. Tim, glancing at me on the walls of the floor, hovered close to his wife, rubbing her shoulders. The 911 operator's initial skepticism turned to shock as I related what we'd found, and she assured me that a car was on its way. The town was in Lakewood, an inner ring Cleveland suburb on busy Detroit Avenue. The police wouldn't take long. My beer tasted warm and bitter, but I took a couple of long swigs. Memories came back in a rush. Karen turned to me, her face ashen and her lipstick smeared. You just talked to that magazine about all those killings when we were kids. They were running the article whether I talked to them or not. Not one week ago and now this? Tim scratched his gut just below the orange-browns logo on his pullover and said, Let it go, Karen. A couple of unnaturally serene cops soon strolled in, a tableau of belts and guns and badges. Tim filled them in, and the uniformed pair walked toward the back door to the alley, past the vintage Wurlitzer, and the pool table wedged into an alcove beneath a hand-lettered sign that read, No Gambling. The dark side of me wanted to follow them to see if they might go off script when they saw what someone had done to that body in the trash. I studied my beer and wished that the interview with Cleveland Magazine had never taken place. We were quiet for ten long minutes, pretending to watch the game, until the back door swung open and Bernie Salvatore, a detective on the Lakewood Force, strode in. We played football together at Holy Name, and he dropped into the Atam for the occasional beer. He was a burly man, a couple of inches taller than my six feet, with a nose that looked like it had been jackhammered to his face. 
Yet he went right to Karen and was surprisingly tender as he reached out and touched her shoulder. You okay? The boy said you found him. She looked up at him. I'll never forget that. Bernie shrugged, looking every inch like the classic dick from late de- night detective shows. Tan slacks, a white button-down dress shirt, wrinkled gray sport coat. <laughs> An Armani model he was not. I can get somebody to talk to you if you want. It's just like before, what the butcher did to those people. No shortage on psychos, sad to say. Oh, God, Karen crossed herself. Don't let it happen again. There was a pair of pants folded up, real neat, under the body. Still had the wallet in it, cash, credit cards. Bernie's eyes roved over the three of us. There's no easy way to tell you. It's Oyster. I knew from one look at his license. I had raised my mug, but lowered it back to the bar without taking a sip. Oyster was another regular at the TAM. A guy was always willing to grin and bullshit and make people believe, even after just one beer, that they had a friend. He'd roll those bulging eyes of his when I got all cranked up and bitched about the Indians. He was called Oyster on account of those eyes. Gelatinous, like plump shellfish glistening on a bed of shaved ice. Tim slapped the bar hard, loud as a shot. Why the hell would somebody do that? Oyster never hurt anybody. He was visibly shaking. Cut off his head? Take it easy, Tim, Bernie said. We'll get this son of a bitch. All right. That's what they said about the butcher. Or the guy before him killed all those people. Tim raised a hand and fluttered his fingers. The, uh, oh, hell. I filled it in for him. The torso murderer. I was too young to have been around for those brutal killings in the 40s. At least a dozen victims disemboldened. But I remembered all too well when the butcher had struck one generation later and paralyzed the city. It's not the same. We've got better labs now, forensics. Uh, Bernie's right, I leaned back and nodded. And don't blow this out of proportion, okay? We... I was six when the butcher left that body on the east side, naked and strung up on a playground fence. Karen took a deep breath and leaned toward me. Jesus Christ, I just found Oyster in the trash. She kept her face fixed on mine, and I had no response. The tension was broken when Bernie said, We've got to ask some questions, Karen. Let me take care of outside, and I'll come back later, okay? She shuddered and crossed her arms, drew them tight. Bernie looked at me. John, can I have a word? It wasn't really a question. I followed him into the side room with a pool table and a whiff of stale beer. The tan was a holdover from the old days, when saloons with lax ID policies lined Detroit Avenue and we'd crowds all night, giddy on misspent youth and shots of cheap tequila. Although a dive now, the bar had become my fond refuge from encroaching micropubs, coffee houses, and gluten-free bullshit places. Well, at least until I'd seen Oyster's corpse mixed in with the trash. You okay? Bernie narrowed his eyes. I mean, that article, now this. <laughs> Somehow I thought that report would be more sympathetic. <laughs> the price of failure. Nice title. And to think that I viewed my old man as a hero when I'd put him in charge of finding the butcher. Thank God Bernie had been around when everything had happened. He'd stuck up for me when the other kids had ridden my ass. Hey, all those reporters, pricks, they can go to hell. Come on, go home and spend a nice Sunday afternoon with Kathy and your kid. Give him a hug for me. Let's get coffee tomorrow. I'll call. We walked out of the alcove and Bernie turned, disappearing through the back door. I returned to my stool and examined the face that stared at me from the mirrored bar back. Wrinkles around blue eyes, dark hair flecked with gray, soft flesh encircling my neck. I reached for the beer. The silence was pounding, and Tim must have felt that something needed to be said. Oyster was the damn 
nicest guy in the world. They'd better find this son of a bitch. Yeah, Oyster deserves at least that. But I'd been a lawyer long enough to know that there probably would not be any righteous end like Tim was demanding. Despite all the blather we told Karen, odds were that Oyster would beat us one more unsolved murder. I didn't want to be there when the press barged in. I needed to go home to Kathy. She'd be nervous as hell about the possibility the serial killer might be on the prowl again. And I, I needed some time to think. It wasn't just a nagging guilt of my blabbing to a magazine that somehow sparked Oyster's demise. A dark fragment of my past still haunted me. Oyster had known nothing about what had happened, but I could never forget. I'd like to thank Michael for sharing his book with us today, and thank you for listening to the Authors Read Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read Podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!